Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, a family elopement by H.G. Wells. I found this uh, on LibriVox, and I'm like, mm, I never heard of that story. That's often true of H.G. Wells' stories. He wrote a lot. Um, but I don't think a lot of other people heard of this one either. Um, so I went and, like, tracked down why, you know, it's not on the standard lists of many H.G. Wells stories I have heard of. It's in a collection uh, from 1984 called The Man with a Nose. <laughs> Another <laughs> uncollected short stories by H.G. Wells. Um, in the... Uh, source materials for where to get it, uh, where they got it from. They said it was in a mag, uh, a newspaper called the Christchurch, uh, S- uh, the the Star from Christchurch, and I'm assuming Christchurch is uh, the New Zealand Christchurch, Christ and they reference, uh, I think it was from St James Magazine in the same month. So uh, it's it's a little unclear why it's attributed to H.G. Wells since it doesn't have his name associated with it. But when I read it, I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is H.G. Wells. Um, some of the writing is very distinctive, but I think the ideas are also very H.G. Wells. And we have not pre-discussed this, and I said I wanted you to to uh, give me your thoughts on this, and I really am interested in that. But um, I was thinking about you while I was reading this story and figuring out what this story is about. But I think uh, maybe we can talk about that on the back end after you narrate it for everybody. Your wish is my command, my friend. A Family Elopement, presumably by H.G. Wells, 1854. Excuse me, 1894. Your wife does not notice our being together? Asked Miss Hawkins. I think not, said Mr. Gabbitus. She is talking to that theosophist. The theosophist was a slender young man from India, but his hair might have come from the Sudan. Mrs. Gabbitus was a lady with intellectual features of a Roman type and a shallow desire for profundity. She was clearly very much interested in what the Hindu had to say. So Miss Hawkins turned again to Gabbitus. I said, I cannot go on like this, said Gabbitus. Speak lower, said Miss Hawkins. I cannot go on like this, dearest, said Gabbitus, trying to put as much tender passion as possible into a hoarse whisper. What can we do, said Miss Hawkins. So much as we dare do. Flight, said Gabbitus. Let us get out of this into a sunnier clime. Hush, they are coming to ask me to sing, said Miss Hawkins. Presently, wait. Mr. Gabbitus yielded her up at this crisis with the best grace he could and went and propped himself against a wall where he could watch her profile. She's awfully clever, said the refined young gentleman to the left of him, to his friend. And virtuous, said his friend, but that's a mistake. She really ought to do something just a little cheerful, you know. People are not going to run after singers just because they sing, you know. She knows that, said the refined young gentleman. She's clever enough. There will be an exploit. Good 
heavens, said Gabbitus under his breath, such motives in my sweet little Minnie? I can't stand this. And he hastily sought a vacant piece of wall elsewhere. It is sweet to be with you again, he whispered to her presently with a sense of infinite relief. And now, dearest, frankly, will you dare you come with me? If you knew, dearest, how I have longed for you, how my soul craves so, I had a very jolly time indeed. The latter inane sentence, because somebody had loomed up just behind Miss Hawkins' chair. Gone now, said Gabbitus. Tell me, dearest, quickly, whisper, dare you? For you, whispered Miss Hawkins, very softly, looking down. Gabbitus took that as an affirmative. My darling, my own, the warmth will show. I mean to say, do you find the room hot? (laughs) What disconcerts you now? I caught Mrs. Gabbitus' eye just then. I think she wants to go home. That theosophist has left her. Now qualified observers state that a man who means to run away from his wife, even if that wife have features Roman rather than beautiful and a tendency to theosophy, suffers considerable twinges of compunction. Capitus certainly did. Even if one's marriage is chiefly a success from the mercenary point of view, a habit of mutual consideration grows insensibly out of the necessity of a common life. It was a very successful affair, dear, he remarked. They had some lovely sandwiches, I noticed. Yes, said Mrs. Gabbitus, turning dreamy eyes upon him. The sandwiches were lovely, and the decorations were lovely, too, and the music. It has been the most lovely evening I can imagine. I'm glad you liked it so much, dear. She smiled mysteriously at him. She seemed to be suddenly affected with an unusual tenderness, Dear husband, she said. What is up now, thought Gabbitus. She is not going to pump me. And he replied, yes, dear. You have always been a good husband to me, dear. Rather, said Gabbitus privately and aloud, always. (laughs) You may kiss me, dear. Gabbitus did as he was bid, and that was all. After this treat, Mrs. Gabbitus relapsed into her corner. She did not suspect then, after all, Gabbitus was greatly relieved, yet she had never spoken in quite this way before. If she meant to develop sentimentality, a new inducement was added to elopement. And again, and again, and yet again, their times together in a fortnight, Mrs. Gabbitus returned to this same peculiar soft mood. One or two things she said startled Gabbitus extremely at the time. However, he kept on accumulating his luggage at his chambers nevertheless, for he was a hard man. She cannot know, he said to himself, following her with his eyes after one of these conversations. No, if she knew, she would make a shindy. She would certainly make a shindy. I know her disposition. I suppose she has got this new style from some novel. Poor old Mimsy. As he went by her door, he paused momentarily, for she seemed to be on her knees and weeping by the bedside. That was through looking out of the corners of his eyes. When he looked straight, he saw that she was only packing a dress basket, and he went on downstairs relieved. 
Five days after the last of these remarkable conversations, Gabbett has found himself on the Southampton platform of Waterloo Station with a large pile of boxes, masculine and feminine, in his care and an exhilarating sense of wrongdoing in his heart. Miss Hawkins mingled timidly and self-possession delightfully. This is the end of London and respectability, said Gabbettus. And the beginning of life, dear, said Miss Hawkins. Here is our luggage, said Gabbettus. By the side of their heap was a similar one, a little portmanteau in this caught his eye. It seemed familiar. Is not that mine, he asked the porter. Mrs. DaCosta read the porter on the label. For Lisbon. No. That is not mine, said Gabbitus. And yet it seemed somehow funny. We should see that our seats have not been taken, I think, now, dear. At the door of their compartment, a man was standing with his back towards them. He was evidently a foreigner. His hair formed a peculiar frizzy mat, such as no Englishman could or would exhibit. As they approached, he turned. There was a pause of mutual inquiry. Mr. Jamasji Gunpot? said Gabitas. Mr. Gonpot, the eminent theosophist, looked at him stupidly. He seemed scared for a moment. Then his face lit up. He raised his hat. Mr. Gabitas with Miss Hawkins. Miss Hawkins turned half round to pull a loose thread out of her traveling rug. We're going down to Southampton, said Mr. Gabitas, collecting his resources, together to meet Mrs. Gabitas. Indeed, said Mr. Gonpot. And his eye wandered round to the waiting room door. He seemed nervous. Do you know, he said, I think I must, I had better, it is unfortunate, excuse me. He turned his back suddenly and hurried away. It was better to recognize him, said Gabitas. How nervous he seems. I wonder if he suspects. Perhaps he is shocked. Hello. Ganpat had not been able to reach the door of the waiting room in time. It opened. Somebody appeared in a gray traveling dress, a flaxen-haired lady with Roman features, smiling sweetly at him. Mimsy, exclaimed Gavitas, with addenda. Mrs. Gavitas, said Miss Hawkins. The smile of Mrs. Gabitas died away at the sight of Ganpot's alarmed visage. She sought over his shoulder for the cause. Oh, my poor George, she exclaimed faintly. And then she saw Miss Hawkins. You! <laughs> Take your seats, howled the guard. Take your seats, please. I suppose, said Gabitas, finding curses sotto voce no comfort. I suppose, said Gabitas, finding curses sotto voce no comfort, under the circumstances we had all better get in together and explain. And in a minute, four singularly depressed and silent people were traveling in a first-class compartment out of Waterloo Station. It was one of those conversations that are difficult to begin. Mrs. Gabitas broke the silence at Vauxhall. This is perfectly ridiculous, she said abruptly and hotly idiotic we can't do anything now that dear is just what i feel said miss hawkins very slowly and without looking up making a new kind of sinuous strip it will not even be a romantic scandal said mrs gabitas with tears in her voice nothing original it will be just funny horrible beastly the meeting lapsed into silence I do not know, said Mr. Gonpat with a half laugh. What? It is funny. 
and other meditation reigned. Beyond Clapham, Gavitas cleared his throat. Yes, said Mrs. Gavitas. We have, said Gavitas, gotten into this mess, and we have to get out of it. I and Godpat might fight. No, said Gunpot. Ladies present, no fight. We might fight, said Gavitas, but I do not see exactly what we should be fighting for. Precisely, said Gunpot. Nothing worth fighting for, he smiled reassuringly at Mrs. Gavitas. The reputations of the ladies must not suffer, said Gavitas. Again, precisely, said Gunpot, becoming animated. And now you hear me. Now I will tell you. What will we do? Here is Mrs. Gavitas and Miss Hawkins. They go. They will with us to St. Southampton. Quite proper, that, eh? Hear me to my final end. Then we part. You and I, Mr. Gavitas, I and you go to Paris. Is not that well? It is an excursion that we have planned. You, my, I mean, madam, you, madam, go with Miss Hawkins. You go to, go to... Lisbon will be far enough, as the things are labeled. Yes, said Miss Hawkins, taking her strips and tearing them transversely into squares. It's sensible. I am sure I don't mind. Now. That is admirable. What do you say, Gabitas? The eye of Gabitas rested on Miss Hawkins for a moment. This is a beastly mess, he said. Miss Hawkins glanced up, and he fancied she nodded imperceptibly. He turned to Gonpot. Very well. That will do. We have all been very silly, said Mrs. Gabitatz. Idiots, in fact. And as far as I can see, said her husband, nobody can throw stones. There is no injured innocence in this carriage at all, said Mr. Jamas G. Gonpot. And now, said Mrs. Gabitatz, everything being settled, let us talk of something else. Ringlets said Miss Hawkins, making her paper scraps into two heaps in her lap. Ringlets, dear, are coming into fashion after all. <laughs> so I, yeah, like I said, I had never heard of this story until I found it on LibriVox. I traced it back to this book, and then I went and found the original, well, a an original publication, uh, in uh, Christchurch Star uh, from 1894. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't show H.G. Wells' name, but I'm pretty sure it's H.G. Wells. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts. Are you pretty sure it's H.G. Wells, too? You know, uh, I'm not. Oh. I mean, it could, it could be H.G. Wells, but, you know, lots of people writing in the 1890s could have produced a funny story. It sounds like Wells, but I only know the great writers of the period. Uh, you know, I'm not an yeah, expert yeah, in the me, field. Oh, so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying, no, it's not Wells. I'm just saying uh, this, this could be Wells. It really could be Wells. I, I, I'm not even thinking about the writing style. I'm actually mostly, I mean, there are some indications that this is Wells, uh, in in the style as well, but I, I wouldn't know if it if it was on a different topic. This is a topic I I didn't really know much about until I think you educated me on Wells, and I've done more research since then. Uh, that he was kind of a womanizer. Oh yeah. Um, 
<laughs> and this is a story. This, you know, 1894. It's about two people cheating. Well, a couple cheating on each other at the same time with two other couple. Well, other other people. And then it's a. It turns into like a sitcom or something, right? <laughs> but from 1894. Um, and then the 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 solution, which is interesting. Is uh, yeah, we're not going to fight. We're not going to have a duel. Um, the men are going to go to Paris, and the women are going to go to Lisbon. I'm like, is are they actually going to stick to that, or is that just what they're going to tell? I guess they're going to have to do it, right? Well, you know, one of the things that I like about this story, and by the way, I mean Emma Belvelli is, you know, I mean, there's lots of story about. Mm. Extramarital affairs. Uh, the the 19th century did not avoid that. Um, but um, one of the things I like about this is I'm not exactly sure what's going on. Yeah, it's very it's very right. obtuse, and it's a deliberately yep. obtuse. Yep. So that last line I love. So Miss Hawkins is tearing her paper, mm-hmm. and you know how you can make daisy chains out of paper, where you make little scraps and you bend them over and they mm-hmm. loop one into the other, and you make chains out of it. Ringlets said Miss Hawkins, making her paper scraps into two heaps in her lap, two heaps. Not one, mm. right? Maybe one to to uh, is the source, and then you dip, you work on them, and then you add them to the chain on the other. Or maybe the two heaps represent her and Mrs. Gabitas mm-hmm. because they're calling each other dear. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're acting as if they're friends. Ringlets go around and around and around. If you look at someone's hair in ringlets, they go around and around and around. And how do you get ringlets? You take the hair and you wrap it around paper hmm. so that it's right so you wet it you wrap it around paper and that gives it the body so that when you take the paper out you have ringlets ringlets go around and around and around so here are these people ringlets are coming into fashion so you ask you know what happens one way to say it is well they're going the women are going to lisbon because we've already got miss uh, mrs gabitas's uh, uh bags marked and the the men are going to Paris. Mm-hmm. But once they are in Paris and Lisbon and away from everybody else, they can change partners. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, they can have an illicit affair. It's not so illicit, hard, right? It's so crazy. Well, no, it's not illicit, but it's illicit to the rest of the world. Yes. That's what they complain of. Oh, now it's not even romantic. That's right. We know what's going on. How can we You're do taking that? taking all the and fun so, out of it. Exactly. How can we so run away Mrs. with each other if, if everybody's on the train together? <laughs> exactly. So when Mrs. Gabitas says everything's being settled, let us talk of something else. It may well be that the point is we'll make believe that we're going to Lisbon and Paris. And then without anybody saying anything, you men will realize that one of you is going to stay there and the other one is going to go to Lisbon. Mm-hmm. And one of the women is going to stay in Lisbon and the other one is going to go to Paris. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to tell anybody anything and we're not going to say anything to each other. And then one of these days when we wind up back at home, we'll all know what happened. So we'll have this delicious romantic memory. But for all I know, you got back home immediately. You didn't have an affair. And for all you know, I got right. So we're just going to recreate the possibility of ignorance giving this wonderful feeling of romantic escapade. Ringlets, 
Mm-hmm. It didn't work the first time around, so we go another time around. The irony, the, there's this the cynicism with which um, this narrator views these people is just wonderful. That's so, that's that's the feel that I get. That oh, that's H.G. Wells, but also like I'm with you. I think I think he's I think he's making a point. Like um, he's sort of showing us like our con- uh, so when we say H.G. Wells is a womanizer. Um, it's kind of like the way Heinlein was a womanizer, right? Like he was a swinger, right? Like he wasn't like saying I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat on my wife all the time and she's not gonna know. It's more like I'm a man. I like women. Um, why is it so wrong? And uh, here I think he's you know it's 1894. It's it's still you know there are some ideas about Victorian society that I think are overblown. You know the table legs. Being uh, right, uh, having to be hidden, less uh, to hide desire. I, I'm, I'm not with that because I, I, I see lots of counter evidence. On the other hand, um, these are crimes. Like you know, oh yeah, these adultery you, is uh, absolutely grounds it, for divorce. It, grounds for divorce, but also like um, there are not just. I think there's legal consequences, uh, like imprisonment in some cases. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure when those laws actually changed, so I could be wrong. But what I can tell you is that the convention was that this never happens, right? That we can't have this happen, and we wouldn't talk about it publicly if it was. That's the main thing. And here it's like we know all this; these characters know all this, and yet they are end up in a place where I think Wells wants us to end up, which is to say. You know, it, who's it hurting? And no children are mentioned in this, right? It's not like exactly. any families are being broken up. It's just people expressing their love and interest <laughs> in their bodies. I, I think you're right. I think Wells wants them to be able to go forward with this. And that's one of the reasons I think that ringlets are back in fashion, dear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that the one woman is talking to the other woman about going around and around and around. The fact is that they know that they have accepted this, but all of the people, it begins at a reception after all. Yes, it's all very of interesting. The people, it doesn't say right. that. You have to infer it, right? Right, but they're going to come and ask me to sing and yeah. so on. You see people across a crowded room. It's a so party. It begins at some kind of party, which means that these four people all share, at least at one point, an intersection of social sets. Yes. So if they all go off, Presumably, when they get off at Southampton and buy the appropriate tickets, in theory, two men are going to Paris, two women are going to Lisbon. But back in London, when these people are away for three weeks and then come back, no one will be able to know whether or not they actually did what we think they might do, which is to say, as you said, nothing will be said but everything will be inferred. So they will have this wonderful titillation. And that ha- will happen whether they, in fact, switch partners on the European continent or not. Mm-hmm. So if the main thing that we're after was the titillation of the society, they've got it. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Go, go for it. Oh, okay. Well, well, I was going to say that you can see these people. The, the narration is set up to make fun of these people, right? 
Mr. Gabitas, it turns out that the, the, his, his love, you know, Miss Hawkins, is Minnie. Mm-hmm. And his wife is Mimsy. Right. I mean, he just wants variety, but yes. he doesn't want too much variety. Theosophy, this, it's all the rage. When I was studying at the British Library um, in, in, in London, uh, I remember across the street and half a block over to the entrance that I used was the, the headquarters of the British Theosophical Society all the way back in the 1970s, or I should say back from here. I don't know if it's still there, but 80 years later than Madame Blavatsky was all the rage, the Theosophical Society was still there peddling its stuff. So what does this mean? We know what Wells thinks of it when he says of Mrs. Gabitas, she had a shallow desire for profundity. That is, she wanted to be deep with no part of her. She a very little bit wanted to be deep. This irony against the I shouldn't say against this, the irony about these people. He accepts them, as you say. He's trying to allow for love, but he's not trying to say that this is some great passion, and he's not trying to say society is terrible. What he's saying is, here's the way the world works, and people figure out ways to have fun doing it, and isn't that nifty? Oh, and and maybe it, is, it shouldn't be like it's almost like this is propaganda. Maybe this shouldn't be such a big deal. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Uh, um, so uh, it's it's really interesting. It's very short, so it allows uh, it it, uh, it takes us. It just throws us in deep in each of, each of the scenes, each of the places, and then there are these. Uh, I want to call them ellipses, but they're actually stars, right? Like sort of right. cutting things off here and there. Um, one of the ones, um, uh, one of the, before I get to that, one of the things I wanted to also mention that I think is very H.G. Wells is having a Hindu as one of the love interests here. Uh, yes. He's a theosophist. Uh, he's, his name is Ganpat. Sounds like he's from India to me. Um, his hair is described as African rather than, uh, straight. Um, he's, he's a foreigner. And he, this guy seems to have no problem with his wife being stooped by this foreigner. That's fine. Right. That's fine. Just except, you know, it shouldn't be a. It, it would be a scandal if if we were seen together on this train, and, it, uh, and it's just it's like a it's a joke on us now. Now everything's terrible. <laughs> like that Indeed. is not a big deal in this story. And it's not a big deal in the politics that H.G. Wells, in fact, had in his life. Yes. That's he another was, thing that makes me say, right. screaming H.G. Wells. Right. He was a leader of the One World Movement. He's um, an anti-racist. And, exactly. He's an anti-racist. Uh, but he does understand the foibles of people, and he is perfectly happy to accept them. In fact, um, it's not just that he wants to say it's all right. One way to read the title of this mm-hmm. A family elopement. Yeah, it's pretty funny, right? It's that the four of them are now a family. I, I, I was thinking about that. That also makes me think that the ending is is not how we should read it just as a straight ending. Because they're doing what they're doing. Uh, the, the plan is we're going our – the men are going to gather and the women are going to gather for separate vacations. We're just – we're pals. We're, we're friends. But with benefits, with benefits, yes, and and so, what's interesting too is that we don't. 
necessarily see this coming. Um, when when we get back to uh, the house, and I, I want to say Mr. Gabates is the is the H.G. Wells stand-in. I don't know if that's true. I guess they all are in a certain sense. Well, but, it, but it feels like it. I'm yeah. with you. Um, and he sees his wife uh, at the bed um, packing, um, and he thinks she's crying. And he's like, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> but <laughs> may, on the other hand, maybe she's not crying. I'm going to just read that section here. As he went by her door, he paused momentarily, for she seemed to be on her knees and weeping by the bedside. That was... That was through looking out of the corner of his eyes. When he looked straight, he saw that she was only packing a dress dress basket, and he went downstairs relieved. Well, he doesn't want to upset her, right? Why is she crying? Oh, well, she, I'm cheating on her. She knows that. Oh, that's bad. But actually, when I look at her, she doesn't seem to be. <laughs> so this is an indication mm-hmm. of what's going to happen, right? Like, no, she's actually happy. She's packing for her own vacation, for, for her own runaway. And she's ex- and you- Excited about sure. the, uh, about spending time with her new man. And you can understand that she should. Their marriage has come to the point where being instructed to kiss his wife three times in the course of a fortnight constitutes their sex life. Right. Right. So, you know, you need something. Mm-hmm. But f- for these people, it's in it's in the context of family. I think, you know, like the the, the proverbial French husband and wife who know about who know right. the lovers of their no, it's, mistresses are standard exactly. not, not mentioned just, and standard exactly so it's it's interesting as i'm so glad that you found this it's not something that should have been lost no whether it's by wells as seems entirely appropriate or by somebody else it it takes a look at victorian society it takes a look at these victorian people who within the rules are trying to do the best they can so that they can all be happy and in fact the happiness is that the men become friends with the men and the women's become friends with the women women are present as ganpot says we will not fight the main thing is not to have the time together the main thing is to prov- is to preserve the reputations of the women and they figure out a way to do it. Mm-hmm. My goodness, how clever we are if we only talk to each other about what we really want. And when we get it, we stop because we shouldn't speak of these things until our time. For you and me, there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.